Who remembers that clip growing up? Come on, if you're over the age of 30, you should remember that. For me growing up, that meant that whatever was to follow was going to be something special. Absolutely, it was going to be something that was going to be amazing, and uh, hopefully that will be the case this morning. My name is Tim Balow. It is my privilege to be kicking off our brand new series, Characters of Christmas, and hopefully what is to follow will be for you something special. Well, I can tell you that at a young age when this would pop on, this was the thing, because we knew that some kind of holiday special could be a, a claymation, might be the Charlie Brown uh, Thanksgiving, might be the Charlie Brown Christmas, might be claymation. Anybody a fan of claymation? I love claymation. Uh, it might be a, a spectacular movie that we haven't had a chance to see. I was discussing this with my children this last week. They're all teenagers, and I tried to explain to them that this clip happened in a day before YouTube. YouTube is when you can see anything you want any time you want, right? Or Netflix or any of these other online things. This was in a day before Blu-ray, before DVD, before VHS. Well, we're going way back. Wait for it. This was in the Stone Age of aerial antennas. You know when you had to turn the dial, the crank, to get it to move on the roof so you could get the good reception? And they always seemed to put these particular specials for our area. They always had them on Wednesday night, which was a big church night, program night for us. And so we'd have to bust it home to get home in time to catch maybe any one of the specials that was on. But that was part of growing up in this wonderful season for us. We would get home. We'd have a little something to eat. Uh, we'd have some hot chocolate. Uh, certainly my mom loved to bake around that season. She loved to cook anytime, but my mom would make the most amazing marble cheese bread. And it would be hot, and you'd put some butter on there. It would just soak right down. I'm getting you hungry right now, aren't I? So we'd have this cheese bread. My mom loved to cook. As I said, she would bake up, and we would fill the dining room table with all kinds of sweets. Uh, she made divinity, which is basically puffed air and sugar. Um, it is wonderful. Uh, she would make all kinds of fudge. She made a chocolate fudge. She made a very creamy peanut butter fudge. And those of you who know me, I don't much care for peanut butter, but that fudge was amazing. She made her homemade chocolate-covered raisins. Um, this particular thing on wax paper looked more like a rabbit that had a fiber deficiency. Um, but they were delicious. They were wonderful. She made her own chocolate-covered cherries. She made her own I mean, cookies galore, all kinds of things. And one of the things that was part of our tradition is that us kids going into our elementary school, we would uh, make up a plate or perhaps a jar of some goodies, and we would take that to our elementary teacher as a way to say Merry Christmas to them. Uh, we would obviously watch our Christmas specials, our Christmas movies. We'd have uh, our whole home decorated. How many of you remember the C4 bulb? For decorating your house, the big ones, not these little ones that we have now. Uh, part of the tradition was we'd get out the tangled knot and spend the next two hours trying to untangle that. As my father, his job was to climb the ladder and put them on the house. My job was to simply feed the rope. But we had to spend the time to lay them out in the lawn and see which ones didn't light. And then once you replaced it, half the other lights would go out. And then they'd all start blinking, and you had no idea why. Did anybody go through that this last week? We're all about lights. Okay, so you've decorated your home. So the lights was part of the tradition. My father would always tell the nativity story on Christmas Eve. We would gather as a family. The kids would sit down on the floor. My dad would read that out. We would get uh, some Christmas pajamas where we would have a, an opportunity to hear the Christmas story uh, from my father's voice, and it was a wonderful season for us. Growing up, 
and now being married for several years, having teenagers in the house, uh, we had our own traditions, even from the time that we first got married. For our family, uh, we have a sleeve of Christmas DVDs that we love to watch, and we kind of determine early on in the season, hey, do we want to start the season with something funny or maybe something a little bit quieter like Polar Express or, you know, we have our sense. And we kind of all have now kind of like a, everybody gets kind of vote, right, on which movie you're going to watch tonight. And that happens throughout the season leading up to Christmas. Part of our Christmas tradition is we set out the nativity set. And when my children were younger, we actually would leave the wise men off in kind of another room or at least uh, the other side of the room. And we did not put out baby Jesus until we read the nativity story on Christmas Eve. Then baby Jesus would come out and we'd put him in the manger. Kids are a little bit older. We have a little different nativity set, but we still do that nativity story together. For my children, they get to open one gift on Christmas Eve, and of course it is their Christmas pajamas that they get to wear the next morning. One of the traditions my wife and I started in college and decided to keep it was that for Christmas Eve, we have cinnamon sugar-covered elephant ears for dinner. That's dinner at my house on Christmas Eve. So uh, you're all welcome to come over. We always make way more than we can possibly eat. And then, of course, you start the next morning with frosted cinnamon rolls. So you're all carved up, ready to go. A couple pots of coffee to wash that right out. You'll be good to go. All right. So that is what Christmas looks like for us. And, of course, all of that for our home and for my home growing up was always centered around Jesus Christ. You know, this day and age, there are a lot of homes including Christian homes, that Jesus is not the center stage. Jesus is not the central part of their holiday season. And the reality is we can throw our hands up in the air and say, oh, we've lost the meaning of Christmas. But that will do little good unless we do something to perhaps change that status quo. This morning, I want us to, as we kick off this series, to consider some characters of Christmas and what they might give us opportunity to share with others in this season. You see, here's what I'm convinced of, is that in no other time of the year except December is there such a great opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, as you go to the mall, you'll hear people singing, perhaps in in choirs or even as they're maybe caroling around, but people are hearing and receiving things like, oh, holy night, angels from the realms of glory. They're hearing and just perceiving and taking in this message of hope but they may not know what to do with it. It's interesting, Paul, uh, back in the, uh, the book of Acts, as we'll see here in a moment, Acts chapter 15, he approaches a group of people, very, you know, they're polite people, they're very philosophical people, so they, they do a lot of thinking, and they had a lot of gods, because they didn't want to miss anything, they kind of took a little bit of everything and set up altars to all of them, and then they like to talk about them. They pretty much like to hear themselves speak. For the most part, Paul, as he's walking around this town, he is acknowledging these things, and he has a conversation with the people that are gathered there, not so much to try to convince them that there is no God and to eliminate all those, but he wants to draw specific attention in one conversation to one particular item that these individuals have seen time and time again. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 16. I'll have it on the screen for you, but if you want to turn in your Bibles, please do so. In Acts chapter 16, Paul, the apostle, is standing in the midst of the Areopagus, which is in Athens. Okay, And he says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Is that not the state of the America today? Is that many people would consider themselves to be religious. They have what they believe to be some kind of maybe a base of faith. 
they are religious. And Paul kind of approaches them on this. I see that you're religious, and for as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. So there it is. They've seen it. He's drawing attention to it because he wants to make a point. What therefore you worship is as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation and mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries for their dwelling place, and that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, and as Paul quotes this, it's actually coming from an outside source, for we are indeed his offering. Being then God's offering, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold, or silver, or stone, an image formed by art or imagination of man, the time of ignorance that God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Amen? We know that man to be Jesus Christ. Paul uses an everyday item in the context of who these people are. Jesus loved to do this when he taught. He would take something that is familiar to his culture, to the people who were living in that area, and he would take that as an object lesson and say, but it points to God. Let me show you how. And in this next series, I hope that we can take some what would seem to be common, ordinary items and change that to put a perspective that we can share the extraordinary with our friends, families, loved ones, neighbors, strangers, anyone. Before we do that, will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today, for this time that we can be with you, this encounter. As we look at these characters of Christmas, let us be reminded that you are on your throne and that this season is all about you the gift that you gave, your son, Jesus Christ. And let us just see how we might be able to encounter not only you, but to <laughs> arrange the meeting between you and our friends. We thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name and through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as we kick off this series, it is my pleasure to start us off with the big man himself. That's right. Papa Smurf. No, it's Santa Claus. Now, before you walk out, thinking, oh, Santa Claus shouldn't be in church. It's interesting, because growing up, there were, uh, I saw two schools of thought. One was that uh, we had, in some Christian homes, we had Santa Claus right next to uh, Jesus Christ. And so there was that mix. Other homes, other Christ-following individuals, man, you mentioned Santa Claus, and suddenly they are seething, they're foaming at the mouth. Oh, it's Satan Claus! And he's just trying to take away from Jesus. Possibly. Might be true, but it was never intended that way. And my hope is this morning that we can take a look at who is the character of Santa Claus 
And really, what was the point, and how can we use that, as Paul did, to point the way to our Heavenly Father? As we do that this morning, this gets really hot, by the way. As we do that this morning, uh, I want to unpack a little bit more about who this Saint Nick, good old Saint Nick, let's talk about him for a second. Because in our American culture, we do this thing that is kind of like a melding pot, right? We've been doing this from the foundations of our country. And Santa Claus is, quite frankly, and the word is an amalgamation, okay? Very cool term. Impress all your friends with it, right? An amalgamation basically means we took a lot of stuff, we put it all together, and we just stirred it up. Because that's what we do in America. We can't figure out what we want, so we pick and choose everything and mix it up and then pour it out. Ping! The American version of everything, right? That's how we do things. The main principal ingredient in Santa Claus is, in fact, St. Nicholas. Let's talk a little bit about St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas, before he was saint, let's talk about it then, he was born, Nicholas was born in around 270 A.D. So, long time after Jesus had even died, he was born to a fairly wealthy, well-to-do family on the Mediterranean coast of what is now modern-day Turkey. At about five years old, and in this time frame that his parents were raising him to love and honor God, and they took him to, uh, to worship, at about age five, an epidemic plague hit his, his area, and his parents ended up passing away. But they left for him quite a legacy of not only finances, but also left him with his uncle. Now, his uncle happened to be a monk, and so his uncle began to raise him in that same fashion. As a monk, then he later became the bishop of the church at Myra. And as a bishop, this is where we see this particular picture then painted later, we have a lot of stories that maybe over time have kind of become untethered to history. Because the reality is the stories around St. Nicholas uh, were passed on by oral tradition, which meaning just storytelling, before they were ever really written down long after he was dead. And so we have these facts and then we have some of the fantasies that go along with that and they kind of get mashed together but somewhere in there we know the truth of who saint nicholas was nicholas was a man who followed after god's heart nicholas was a man who not only loved his god but he loved his neighbor as himself in fact there are stories that are told that we now have in in our culture even today that nicholas because as a monk he realized that he wasn't going to be bound to the things of this earth and he wanted to live a meager life. He had this inheritance. He wanted to make sure that other people had what they needed. It was part of his reputation that Nicholas was a secret gift giver. And what Nicholas would often do is that if, as people would leave their shoes out, Nicholas was one who, would, as he would go by, put coins in their shoes. In the morning, they found money. The story is also told of a farmer who had three daughters. Now, within that culture, you needed to have what was called a dowry. A dowry was something of value. could be a, a monetary uh, amount, could be a, an item. But this dowry was what became kind of the bargaining for a suitor. The larger the value of this sum of money for your daughter, then you could pick and choose who she would marry. If you did not have, if you had a very small dowry, were you getting the stable boy, right? Or the trough bucket boy, water boy, all right? This is who you were getting. So in this case, the story is told of three daughters who had no dowry. That was bad news back then because that meant that they would either be sold into slavery, uh, sold um, possibly into prostitution, or go into uh, some other 
unscrupulous uh, kind of workforce or those kinds of things. There was not a lot of future for them. St. Nicholas had heard of this, and as the story goes, that as the one daughter came to age of being married, St. Nicholas stopped by their house, secretly snuck in, and as their stockings were hung by the chimney with care, he put a dowry into the first daughter's stocking. And so that when she woke up in the morning, she had the gift that she needed. When the second daughter arrived at age, he snuck back in, left another gift. And by the time the third daughter was of age, the father caught him. And St. Nicholas said, please do not tell anybody about this. I was just trying to help. And, of course, the father kept his mouth shut. No. And, in fact, to this day, we still have stockings hung from the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon will be there. Now you know where it comes from. A man who cared more about others than himself. We have this case, St. Nicholas, which is still celebrated on December 6th each and every year with exchanging of gifts, particularly to small children, because that was his reputation. As he would go through the town, he blessed those around him. St. Nicholas, our primary ingredient. But then, that's in the 4th century, let's say. About the 8th century, we start as this tradition is kind of spreading and his story is kind of gaining traction in, the, in that area. We, we have the Germanic barbarians who now are being Christianized. And of course, we don't always leave behind everything from our past. And so the Germanic Christians brought something to the table and they started mixing that into the bowl. This guy by the name of Odin. Anybody ever heard of Odin? Odin was the, of course, you would think the Viking, the Norse god, but the Germanic barbarians had, had Odin. And Odin rode through the midwinter sky because he was the traveler from the north. And he wore a blue cloak. He had a pipe and often was pictured with only one eye. But he rode on an eight-legged steed. Eight? Anybody picking up on that? Eight tiny reindeer? So they started to mix that in there because Odin would, would ride through the sky at night and bearing gifts for all of his people. Sound a little familiar, right? Okay. So we have that. Just Let's just mix that in right there. Okay, then we come to about the 15th century, and England now being Christianized because we have the Druid, and they're being converted. The Druid brought over Father Christmas. Father Christmas is often depicted in a green robe, uh, carrying gifts, again, for people, and often with some kind of evergreen. And there's a whole thing within the Druid culture of the evergreens and the new life and the sustaining of life. And so he's often pictured with either carrying a pine tree or carrying some kind of wreath as he would walk through the town. The perfect embodiment of the Christmas spirit. Again, long white beard. But in typically, in all of these cases, you're talking about a rather slender individual. Coming back to St. Nicholas, a monk who lived on meager means. Now, we come into a more contemporary time. We have, in 1773, the first American press release of Santa Claus, the word Santa Claus. When it came over into the United States, it was originally called, he was called Sinterklaas. And what does that sound like? It just, we kind of did the stir the pot thing, right? And in fact, in the late 17th century, it was Martin Luther who actually tried to bring the focus right back to Christ. And he kind of was trying to push all of that Sinterklaas business to the side. And he was really pushing for this, this Christ figure, gift giver, and he called it the Christ kind, or was also called Christertint, which came into being Chris Kringle. Now you know where that fits in. So if you see Miracle on 34th Street or you watch the claymation of Santa Claus, 
you'll see that Santa Claus as a baby is often referred to as Kris Kringle. What did we do? Put it in the pot. We'll just add that. Yeah, absolutely. So if you wonder what, you know, Santa Claus looks like now, think about 200 years from now in our culture. Everybody's like, well, I'll just put a little bit more of this. We have no idea. He's going to have like eyeballs coming everywhere and arms everywhere and it'll be weird. This is the tradition that we have added and created. Come to 19, or 1823, we actually in the Sentinel was printed the poem The Night Before Christmas in which it actually names eight tiny reindeer. And at that time, we started getting a mental picture because it described the real nose and the, the belly, right? The one that shakes like a bowl full of jelly or me after Thanksgiving, right? We started getting this mental image, but it wasn't until 1930 when this organization got their hands on the marketing department and came up with these campaigns and the Coca-Cola propaganda machine ran wild. And suddenly, Coca-Cola was Santa's favorite choice. And what's interesting, and if you want to know the backstory on this real quick, Coca-Cola was selling lots of beverage during the summertime when it's hot. They were looking for a marketing campaign that would sell more Coca-Cola in the wintertime. And so they were telling you, it's delicious as a hot beverage. Have you tried it? It's not good. But if they couldn't get you to drink it, at least they could tell you, Santa drinks it. And you will too. Look, it's refreshing and you can see it. It will refresh you too. Don't put milk out for Santa. Put some high fructose corn syrup out. Um, it wasn't made with that then. All right. Give Santa, and I love that it's this like little eight ounce little cup and he's like huge. I'm going to have this little tiny beverage. Coca-Cola ran wild. And that, my friends, is really what we see in today's Christmas Santa Claus saturated community. We have songs that we have all about Santa Claus. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He sees you when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good, for goodness sake. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's nice. Oh, naughty or nice. And we all wonder if we're on the naughty or nice list don't we? At least growing up we did. See, we had this idea of Santa Claus that he has this naughty or nice list. And so if you were naughty, say, most of the year, you see, Santa had this kind of this curve that he graded on, right? If you were good at the end, you probably still got a gift, right? Now, I want to pull back from just this for a second, because if you go back to when we were kids, If you were on the naughty list, what did you get? Lump of coal, right? I'm going to pull back all the way to old St. Nick. This is is great. You guys got to look this up. St. Nick had a traveling companion. When he would go out, if you were on the good list, like you've been good, he he would award you with a gift. But his traveling companion, if you were on the naughty list, came you in your sleep. Broke out a whooping. So kids, hey, if you're good, you're going to get something. If you're bad... You're going to wake up screaming. We lost that in the American culture. We'll just give you a lump of fuel. Here you go. And so now we have this naughty or nice list. And we're just wondering, am I going to make it? Am I going to make the naughty list? Or am I already on the naughty list? Am I going to make the nice list? And I'm, I'm just kind of hoping that maybe I've done enough that Santa will, at the end, maybe grant me some grace. 
And in reality, there's a little bit of a parallel of how sometimes we treat God. Because sometimes we look at God and we say, really hoping that God grades on this curve. (laughs) That there's this naughty and nice list that God has that somehow I hope I make it to the nice list. And if you were to ask folks, hey, how do you know that when you leave this planet, when you leave this life, how do you know that you'll have a perfect relationship with God, that you would be with him someday in heaven? And a lot of people will respond, well, I'm not a bad person. I think I've done more good than bad. And they're counting on this naughty or nice list. Or you have this idea that, hey, you know, he sees me when I'm sleeping. He knows when I'm awake. He knows I've been bad or good. And the reality is I'm never going to measure up, so I might as well do what I want to do anyway. And sometimes we approach God the same way. I don't know what your expectation is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't even know if this is all real, so I'll just do what I want to do anyway. And forget about the naughty or nice list. You see, sometimes we have this approach to God that we do with Santa. And while there's a very limited parallel here, because I truly believe that all of us, somewhere inside of us, has this void that says, I want to believe in something greater than myself. I want to believe that there is a benevolent, all-seeing, all-knowing being who takes an actual interest in what I do every day. And the challenge is that we often think, well, that Santa Claus is for kids to believe in, and that at some point you stop believing in that, and faith is gone. But faith should never leave us. In fact, our belief in God is based on this very thing, that I know and believe what His Word tells me. And that He's not just some benevolent creature who lives in some obscure location who shows up once a year, but that instead He not only sees and cares about my everyday life, but He wants to be a part of my everyday life. So when we come to this Christmas season and we are surrounded by this Santa Claus figure, can we talk to people about not just this guy, this image who once a year, but a God who truly wants to know, who does see you when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good and he sees the tears you cry and he sees the smiles on your face and he knows the hardship you've gone through this year and he wants to be there in your life. But he does that through a gift. Isn't that great? Because God is such the gentleman that he doesn't sneak down your chimney and force himself into your living room. No, he does it differently. He says, I'll wait for you to invite me because here's the gift. Absolutely free. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I'll put on the screen for you so we can look at it together. It says, for by grace. And that's a word you're going to hear a lot at North Point. We talk about the grace of God. Yes, God is just. God is merciful, but in this particular sense, we are talking about His grace. It is His grace that we are saved. It is through that grace, because we're saved through faith. Our belief, as I was just talking about, it's not something we give up as children, but even as grown adults, we are saved through faith. And this is not of our own doing. It is a what? It's a gift. It's an awesome gift. It's the gift with your name on the tag. To fill in your name from God. It is a gift, not a result of works, our part, so that nobody can boast. It's not about you. It's not about what 
good or bad you did, whether or not you measure on the naughty list or the nice list. It's all about what God did. His actions, His giving to us. Not that we should boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for those good works. You want to know how you'd be on the good list, nice list, is you do what God planned for you to do. But you can't do that outside of a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. Those good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You can write that verse down, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 at least, something you might share with a friend. You can also write down Romans six twenty three. Write this down, commit it to memory so that if you're talking with your friends about this Santa Claus figure, you can remind them that, you know what, the Bible says that the wages of sin, the penalty, the cost, the payment for my naughty list, the payment for my naughty list, the Bible says is death, physical death, eternal separation from God. I don't get to be with God. That's the naughty list, folks. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John 3.16, many of you might know this verse. It's a very familiar verse in this culture, and a lot of folks know it, maybe have no church experience, that God so loved the world that He gave, there's a gift, the perfect gift, He gave His one and only Son that whoever it doesn't matter how you feel you're on the naughty or nice list. Whoever believes in him would not perish, wages of sin, but have everlasting life. It's a gift. And on Christmas morning, you're going to reach under the tree. You're going to pull a gift out. You have put a lot of thought and preparation to this, and you're going to give it to someone. But it hasn't finished the transaction until that someone that it was intended for actually receives it. No strings attached. And that's God's heart. He says, I have prepared this gift. I put a lot of thought into this. I put a lot of preparation into this. It's from cover to cover. This is my gift. It is my son. So that you can be with me. This is my gift. Will you take it? And it really is, I hate to say it, that simple. I'm not trying to make it some kind of easy believism because being a Christ follower is not easy. But choosing to follow after him, it's a choice. He never forces himself in. And that really is where God is so very different than Santa. But here's the interesting thing. St. Nicholas gives us a model that really we should be the ones following. Because St. Nicholas was so in love with his God. And this was something interesting for me, is that he was part of, in the uh, 325 A.D., there was something called the First Council of Nicaea. It's a big deal, because they were actually the ones kind of deciding what kind of would go into the Bible. This is some of those conversations of, they didn't have the Bible as we have it now, and they were debating and arguing amongst themselves as to what is the truth. And St. Nicholas shows up at this, he's one of the, the pastors at this thing, and he was one of the, the pastors who signed something called the Nicene Creed, or the Nicene Creed. This is so important, and if you don't know it, you, well, probably you've heard it before. And many of you have probably memorized parts of it, because it still affects many of us today. Let me just read through this real quickly. It says, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten from the Father, only begotten, that is, from the substance of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God 
from true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things came into being, things in heaven and things on earth. We believe, we because, who because of us men, there we go, and because our salvation came down and became incarnate and became man and suffered and rose again on the third day and ascended to the heavens and will come to judge the living and the dead. And we believe in the Holy Spirit. There was this debate going among them that said that Jesus Christ was the first of the created in similar substance to the Father, but not the same. He was not equal to God. And St. Nicholas said, no, it's wrong. He is God. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. He wants a relationship with us, and the only way to do that was if Jesus Christ was, in fact, divine. And he became the bridge man for us. And St. Nicholas signed this in saying, I believe. And it's the kind of thing that locked into history, and we still share in that today. St. Nicholas was a man who absolutely loved his God, and he absolutely loved his neighbor as himself. And this holiday season, my question is, can we be more like a living Santa? You see, I look at if St. Nicholas were to somehow show up on the scene today, if God granted him access to the planet for one day during this season, I think St. Nicholas would be horrified to see what has happened to what he did. That we have begun to worship the man rather than what he worshipped, which was God. I think that St. Nicholas would be astounded to see that there is this Santa Claus figure at the back of the parade who is the center of attention that everyone's waiting for. I believe St. Nicholas would be the guy on the street who's probably serving hot coffee to those who are cold. More than that, I believe St. Nicholas was probably the guy who was down feeding the homeless because in this season, they're very hungry and very cold and he's meeting their needs in a very real, tangible way saying, take this because God loves you and I want you to know that. I think that St. Nicholas would be the guy out in front of a store ringing the bell to draw your attention to those that have needs beyond your own. He says, hey, can you give a little here? Because this little will go to help a lot of people. So how will we do that this season? Instead of looking for the attention, instead of focusing on so many other things, guys, the reality is in this day and age, so many of our homes, everybody's focused on so many other things. They focus on the the schedule, or or they get focused on the stuff, or they just get focused on traditions, and, and Christ gets removed from that. But in this season, as like no other, we have the opportunity that anytime we see a mall Santa, anytime we see a bell ringing Santa, anytime we see any kind of Santa, we have an opportunity to share with our loved ones, with our kids, with our grandkids, with anyone who will hear the true story of St. Nicholas, who loved his God, who loved his fellow man. Will we be Santa Claus? to those around us this season. As the band comes out, I want us just to consider this morning that perhaps you have not even received that first gift. It's really kind of impossible for you to do the good works that God has set aside for you, who has planned you to be a part of that. At North Point, we want to absolutely use our time, talents, and treasures just as St. Nicholas did to make such an impact in our community that they know that this church exists because they know that Jesus Christ exists and we're all about what he's after. But if you have not made that decision to follow after Christ, there is nothing that would make us happier than to show you 
how you can know for sure that you have a place at God's side in the future. How you can know for sure that Jesus Christ died for your sin and is waiting to usher you in. We would love to present that gift to you. It's exactly what St. Nicholas did. If that's your heart this morning and you'd like to do that, we would invite you during the sign just to come find a place down here. We'd love to pray with you, get a chance to talk with you, show you how to get started in this brand new thing we call following Christ. For the rest of us, look around. This season is full of opportunities. And be like Paul in saying, hey, here's a thing that I want to draw your attention to, not because of what it is, but because of who it points to. Let's be a Santa Claus in this day and age. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that we can see this character who loved you, who studied your word, who defended your word, but met the needs of those around him so much that he's still sticking around today. God, let us be that kind of person that others would write about, that others would talk about, that we wouldn't seek our own glory, but that in all things we would make you big. We praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, and that awesome gift that you've given to us in this season we celebrate it. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to stand and worship together.